Friedrich Harper is the principal developer advocate at Kubefirst, which is an open source platform that integrates some of the most popular tools in the Kubernetes space. Friedrich has deep experience at major software companies, having worked at NPM, Mozilla, Microsoft, DigitalOcean, Fitbit, and others. He joins the show to talk about the challenges and solutions for working with Kubernetes. This episode of Software Engineering Daily is hosted by Jocelyn Bernhul. Check the show notes for more information on Jocelyn's work and where to find her. Welcome, Frederick. It's really great to have you. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about how like Cube Shop into Cube first. I've been in tech for just a little more than 20 years now. The first half of my career, I was a full-time software developer. Actually, it's not totally true. I was mostly a full-time software developer, but at some point, I'm an H team, I'm an H project. I did some architecture, customer relationship, but I would say always like 80 to 90% of my time was creating software. So work with like mobile development, standalone development, web application with multiple technology. And I realized that, you know, as much as I love coding, and to be honest, even in my role right now, I miss coding full time, but I, I'm a social extrovert person. So yes, I was working with team when I was a software developer. I was working with some customers, but I need to be with people more than like just those small amount of time. So I switched to a more social role where I still have to own my technical skills, but it's really about people. So as I said, my job is to help developers and part of my job is to create like YouTube videos, is to participate to podcasts like yours, is to speak at conferences. And it's always about technology or tips and tricks that can help, again, developers be successful, save time, do maybe sometimes a better job, improve their skills. So it's a kind of like great mix between, as I said, my technical skills and my social skills. And I've done that a couple of places, like really big company, medium-sized company, small startup. Right now, it's been, uh, it's going to be a year in the month or two. So time fly when you have fun. So I'm part of Cube Shop, but you're going to see me advertise Cube first most of the time. So Cube Shop is a startup incubator, but not like in a traditional sense. So we have projects that are in-house and Cube first got acquired about a year ago from Cube Shop. So I work for Cube Shop. And we have other projects that are mostly related to the Kubernetes space, but my main focus is 100% on Cube First at Cube Shop. So it may be a little bit like people, where do you work? Like Cube Shop or Cube First? I mean, like my employee is Cube Shop, but I spend most of my time on Cube First. Cube First is a loose assembly of city states that to form one ecosystem. Is that right? It is, it is. So what do we do? Basically, we offer a tool that helps you to create Kubernetes cluster by respecting the GitOps principle. So we create full-fledged production-ready Kubernetes cluster with the tools you need. So cloud-native tools that really help you to be productive. Interesting. I want to talk a little bit about that. Let's talk a little bit about what Cube First is and what problems it's solving. And then I want to go in a little bit deeper on some of those solutions. So I just actually copied this down. Cube first principles. I'm going to read this out loud. You ready? An open source GitOps driven Kubernetes centric infrastructure and application delivery ecosystem. That's a mouthful. 
<laughs> Actually, that is like we just put all the keywords that make sense about Kubeferts in like that one longer sentence. And it translates in the fact that like if you use Kubeferts to create your Kubernetes cluster, you can use the CLI. We have a UI installation tool. And it's going to create your Kubernetes cluster with the tools you need. So it's going to install Argo CD, AshiCorp Vault, Terraform, Atlantis, Nginx is going to be installed for you. So instead of creating like an empty Kubernetes cluster where, okay, it's fine, that's the easy part. The next part that is a little more difficult is to have like all the tools, management tools you need to have a functional cluster where you're going to be able to deploy your own application services or tool. So what do we do? It's an open-ended platform. We decided some of the technologies that we think would work well together and that we had to be frank, that we had experience with and we put them together. And we made it easy. So for a company, instead of like spending, uh, if you really have like huge expertise, it can take you even days to set up, like to create that setup. But like if you don't, it can take you weeks or months. But now the difference is that you can use Hue first and you can create your cluster, like full production ready cluster on AWS, DigitalOcean, Vulture, Sivo, like Google Cloud, even locally. Create mm-hmm. your cluster, and it's going to take you between five to twenty-five minutes. So, as I said before, like creating a Kubernetes cluster is not difficult. It's the part that come after, and this is what we tackle with Cube First. I want to talk a little bit about that because it would be difficult for me. I'm a little bit out of my depth on this, but I have had a front row seat for the challenges that enterprise has with Kubernetes in terms of trying to onboard new solutions or work with startups who want to distribute their product more broadly in enterprise. So let's kind of back up though. I'm sure most of our audience knows what Kubernetes is and why companies like to use it, but let's just cover that for a moment. It's a tool that helps you to create a distributed platform and it really helps you to scale your application. So compared to, let's say, traditional cloud, when you're going to like deploy your application, deploy your services on the cloud, like you're going to deploy your application on a Kubernetes cluster. And that's going to open up to a lot of like tool sets that are going to help you to manage and scale your application. So it's a project that was created for Google a long, like a couple of years ago. I'm, I'm not quite sure when it was created. Uh, it's at least like now about 10 years. And they decided to open it to really like, you know, give back to the community. So it was built for larger type of issues, like when you really need to scale things about Google type of issues uh, in terms of like scalability, but it's more and more available for like smaller player people that want to scale and that want to use like the latest and greatest technology out there. So yeah, it scales. And then the dream for enterprise is that it breaks up any kind of monopolistic dependency you might have on the big providers, right? It's kind of the goal. There is also like a caveat about that because like most clouds right now, at least like the biggest player and even the smaller player, they now have like a Kubernetes offering. So in theory, you wouldn't be vendor locked in and that would give you the opportunity like to have an architecture that consider Kubernetes when you deploy your application, your tool or service. But some clouds right now, the way the configure Kubernetes, the way you create your cluster, the way you use their own services to like bring your cluster to the next step. Sometimes you can be stuck a little bit with some vendor locked in. They have eccentricities that are specific to the provider. They have. They have. So a good opportunity, which could be not always time effective or could be a little bit more costly, is to try to implement 
the cloud provider services yourself within your cluster, which would make it more portable. And this is also one of the advantages of using a tool like Kubeferz because we use cloud native, open source, free open source cloud native tools that we install in your own cluster to sometimes replicate some of the feature of some cloud provider, which prevent you to be vendor locked in. So I think that's part of it, right? If you are an enterprise, you want to scale, you want portability. And then the other thing I've seen is for enterprises who want to adopt new technology or work with younger companies, most younger companies are creating their first install packages on Kubernetes. It is true. You know, I was working at DigitalOcean at some point, which is a smaller player in the cloud provider space, but they had a Kubernetes offering. And part of my job was to talk, like my focus were startups. And every startup founder that I was talking to, either technical founder or non-technical founder, maybe CEOs, they all wanted to put their application on Kubernetes because they were like, hey, that's the future. And I'm going to be the next Facebook and I'm going to need to scale. You know, People want to use that technology, whether it's useful or not for them at that stage. And it's not always easy because it really shifts the paradigm from like the traditional DevOps space to a new space that like you need to learn. And this is also one of the barriers to entry that I personally think about Kubernetes, that that's a wonderful technology, but it's not always easy to like start to learn that new technology because now you're talking about like there is pods and like there's that new things that is a cluster and you need to understand like if you if you want to do GitOps, you need to understand the principle. And now there's like a new set of tools that you may want to use that are created for the cloud native space community space that you may not have been used before if you were doing DevOps. So the barrier to entry can be a little bit steep when you move yeah. to a cloud native technology. It's definitely steep. And then in large companies, you know, the most talented, most experienced engineers who are doing this type of setup, they're in short supply and you, it's hard to spare them, right? For something like this, they're already working on the hardest problems. It is, it right? is. And so also talking about talent, you talked about using the most popular tools, right? So if you wanted to extend or expand your Kubernetes commitment and you wanted to hire the right people, you know, the fact that you, you know, you're focused on what I, vanilla open source or like, you know, sort of unalloyed true open source has been a benefit, right? Because more people know it, are part of it. I know that's one of your principles. And then you've got some other principles I thought we'd just chat through if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Because to me, that's leveraging the most popular tools when you say you're open source. Is that is there something else I'm missing there? There are what we think are the most popular tools. Sometimes like it's confirmed with like surveys or from CNCF. Sometimes we may disagree with, with some people in the community. Like one of the questions we often have, like, oh, why, why are you not using Flux CD instead of like Argo CD? And it's because when we started to like create a platform, Argo CD had like that UI that we thought could be useful for users and Flux at that time didn't have. And to be honest, also it was like a tool that we'd known and used before. So the went also with the tools that they felt comfortable. So it's still a popular tool out there. And I think it's it's one of the most popular tools out there. But like I still want to emphasize that like Kubefirst is an opinionated platform. So often we have discussion with our community users where like, oh, why did you choose tool X instead of Y? Or like, why did you decide to use that tool compared to the other tool? And Again, we try to go with the more popular option, but we also have our own decision to make about the platform. Like what's best 
for the platform we're building and what we think is going to be best for our users. And so far, except some discussion about like, I would say people that are a fan of other technology, usually we can have like a pretty good discussion with our users and basically just let them know like why we made that decision. And usually people agree with those. So, so far, so good. Crossing your finger. I think, I think we made the right choices. Yeah, that's right. seems to be. You know, the other thing I wanted to just dive in with you a little bit is easy platform provisioning. When I hear that, it's sometimes a little bit of a red flag when you come from like super complicated enterprise environments. I also raise my eyebrow a little bit because maybe I don't understand it as deeply as I should. So I just thought I would ask you a little bit about like, just at a high level, what makes platform provisioning easy or difficult? Before answering your question, if, if you let me just add on what you said, I totally agree. I mean, when the manager of developer relation at CubeShop reached out to me for that role and I went on the website and I saw the exact same sentences that you read and I was like, nah, like that's bold. <laughs> <laughs> not to say all the right word. And I was like, no, I mean, like, it's complicated. Not that I don't believe in an easy solution, but usually it's a little bit too marketing-ish and it's not true. And I tried it for myself and I was like, oh my God, like they're right, they're doing it. The good thing about easy versus difficult is that with our platform specifically is that we made it easy for you to create that cluster. But the thing though, is that if you have a certain experience and expertise, you may, again, you may not like the tools we choose, which, as I said, so far so good, but like, hey, you may not like them. The thing is that you're not stuck with everything we put there. Like, it's your platform. Once we create the cluster, it's yours. And because we respect the GitOps principle, we have like that GitOps repository where everything is declared there. So it's yours. You make it yours. So if you're not happy with us using Vault and you want to change for something else, go for it. If you want to remove something we install, like we install an example application called Metaphor, you want to remove it because you think it's just cluttering your cluster. It's just like adding some clutter. You remove it from your GitOps folder and you sync our Go CD and you're good to go. It's not there anymore. So that's the benefit of like, we get you started, but if it's not exactly what you want, you can update, change it, remove stuff, add stuff. So the goal is really like we kickstart things for you and it's up to you after to do the rest of your magic. But yeah, the difficult part, just to finally answer your question, is that we made it easy because with either one common line, you can create that cluster with like all the tools and plus even more tools than the one that I mentioned before and all interconnected in between. So they're all working together already. So you have those tools with one common line where you put a couple of flags about like which cloud you're going to like, you change a comment depending on the cloud. And if you want to use GitHub or GitLab as uh, the place where we're going to create your GitOps repository. So you change a flag, but like it's one comment. And depending on the cloud, you wait between five to 25, 30 minutes. Let's say AWS takes more time to provision because like include a lot of services. But in the end, you have your cluster with all those tools working to Together, but you can also do it with the UI if you want to. And it's a couple of clicks. You wait the same time after that and you got your cluster provision. The difference is that it's not just about installing the tool. The difficult part is not just about installing the tool. It's about like making all them like work together, make it all those tools work together. So as an example, like you have your GitOps repository. If you want to add a new user, you can like 
had, or let's say you want to add a new repo, you go in a Terraform file, you had a new repository that's going to be managed by the cluster. If you want to have new users, you can go on Vault, you had a new users, and that new users is going to work in Argo CD, it's going to work in all the tools that we install. So everything is tied together. And I would say, I'm not the engineer who work on the code, but I would say it's the difficult part to do. So all having all those tools work together. So I know you work with developers for the most part. This is a question I often ask, you know, you've got such a heavy emphasis on open source. There's really no delicate way to put this, but, you know, help me understand the difference between what's open source and and what's you guys. And then like, how do you charge for that? So right now we're not charging anything. So we're a startup. We're still at the stage where, you know, it's free. It's open source. Everyone hear that? So just call them up now. Now's the time. This is a good time. And actually, to be honest, that's going to be the good time also in the future because we still believe in open source. So in the future, and it's a, it's a big if we are actually discussing like how we're going to monetize the platform right now. And that's probably going to be a mix of like, Part of the platform is going to be free and maybe you're going to be able to create X number of cluster, but as their Y number of cluster, you may have like to pay a fee. I got you. Some sort of throttle. Some sort of of throttle. throttle That makes it enterprise or some sort of fancy enterprise extra services. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and another possibility is to have like most company or many company does like they have like open source feature and they have like enterprise level features. But the thing though is that everything we have right now in our like open source or GitHub repository, it's free, it's there, it's open source and that's always going to be there. All right, you heard it here first. Get in there and just get take. <laughs> Yeah, and if something changed, you know what? You can point to that video and say like, hey, Fred said that. The good benefit of working where I work is that the Cube First team really believe in open source. Like the goal was to open source that tool right from the beginning. Like we're big users of open source. So at some point we need to give back to the community also. And like it's our way to do that. But also we need to be realistic. We have salaries. We're a for-profit company. We need to make money at some point. So now we reach a point where we feel like the platform is like production ready. People can use in production. It's solid. It have all the features that we wanted for, let's say like the first real big, nice, like full-fledged version. It's out there. And now we're like, okay, now we need to start to think about making money, but we're an open source shop. So as I said, like there is still going to be a lot of like open source when it comes to Cube First. Well, you know, I love that. I think I told you the last time we talked, I'm an open source hippie from way back. You know, I worked at... (laughs) Early in the Linux journey, right, I worked for a company that did support for any distro. That didn't work out as a pure support model. But it's an interesting kind of line to embrace between keeping an open source project alive and vital, but also, you know, supported. And, you know, I think now, 20 years later, you definitely need to have some sort of monetary component to that. People aren't just spending their nights and weekends. Exactly. And as much as I love what I'm doing at QFIRST right now, I also love getting a paycheck. So yeah, exactly, exactly. And enterprise support is also an avenue. It's it's already something we're doing with some enterprise, like people that may not have the resources of time to like manage their Kubernetes platform and need expertise to understand a little more how to get started. Because as I said before, like you can do it with QFIRST, but To be honest, you probably want to understand the tools, so we can also help people to do that. Like we have an expertise with those technology. If it's a people business, it doesn't necessarily scale perfectly, but I think for especially for what you're doing, which is so much more than just an operating system, right? Like I can't believe those words just came out of my mouth because operating systems are a lot, but you know, (laughs) 
support training, those type of things. Like there's a huge gap. You could spend all day, every day on it. Not that you should. And then of course, you know, I'm sure you guys are already talking about the, you know, woeful lack of tools to monitor and understand the performance of your Kubernetes clusters inside of a large organization, what it's costing you, how it's working, where it's breaking down anomalies in the telemetry, all of those things are really not visible to most organizations. Yeah. What I like also is that there is some ethic within the team. And I know like probably every company say that, but like we gather some telemetry, you can turn it off and we anonymize the thing. So we gather the minimum information we need to like take decision and see if the platform is working because especially I would say with any software, but I would say especially with open source, you're going to have users going to be really vocal about like, hey, your tool is not working and this is the issue I have. But some people would just move to the next thing. So like if you don't tell me that like you have a bug and you have an issue because no product's perfect, there's no way for me to improve or maybe for whatever reasons our team never had that use case that caused that problem and may never have. So if you don't tell us, we don't know. So like we have some metrics when people are successful or not. And that really helps us to say like, hey, OK, maybe this cloud in this particular scenario is not working super well. We need to look a little bit deeper to see what's happening. Interesting. So I know it's early days and you may have only just started to engage with some big customers or potential partners, but how are you envisioning adoption working in large organizations? Or I guess I should say, I think it's what you're doing is for large organizations. I keep saying that, but maybe for like any business or any buyer, how do you see this working its way into the organization? It is a product for any type of organization for the main reason that we made it easy for people to use. So like if you're a startup and you really don't have the knowledge, you can like create your cluster with all the tools that we offer to you easily. So even if you're a small company, it's perfect for you. But obviously you're going to rip a lot more benefit if you are a larger organization because it's about like saving times, about saving resources. You're probably going to need a lot more clusters, which means a lot more time, which means a lot more expertise, which means a lot more resources. And if it's managed well, we can help you to save in resources. So, sorry, what was the question? Sometimes I just go in all directions. No, I asked two at the same time, kind of. So that's my fault. I was just thinking about a big, like a company. Where do people start, learn about you and start adopting you? Is it developer up into the organization? Is it like cloud engineering at the top level, pushing it down into an organization? You may not know, but what what do you think is going to be the way that the set of services works its way into the org? Actually, what we're seeing right now, it's a mix of those. Like there are developers that, you know, want to rip the benefits of using cloud native technology, but at the same time, it's not their expertise to be DevOps. Like their developer, their expertise is to create software. Not that it's like better or worse, like your expertise is to create software. So like focus on what you do best and where you can bring the most value. So there are developers that, you know, just want to go cloud native, use Kubernetes, don't really know how to do it. And they're like, hey. We're going to try Cube first and see what happened. And they can focus on what they do, developers. We had cloud engineers. They're like, hey, you know what? I've been building that at the previous company. I'm at a new company right now. I don't want to spend the next weeks, months, years to build the exact same thing that I did before and that you're offering for free. It's open source. It's easy to do. And we also have, you know, decision maker, CEO. So sometimes it goes from top to bottom where they're like, hey, you know what? We either don't have the resources or we don't want our resources to focus on that because, you know, it's important to have like the proper infrastructure that can scale. But 
it's a tool that's going to help you to put your product or tool or services out there. So that's not what's going to bring money. That's going to be a tool that's going to help you to like put your things out there. But this is what you're going to put out there that's going to help you to make money. So some decision maker are like, hey, we're not going to spend time on this if there's an easy solution to do that. I think, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I think that's going to be a mix between the two stakeholder decision maker. That's going to be like, hey, we won't focus on building an expertise in cloud native, but we need it if we want to compete against other people in our industry. And a mix between also cloud engineers or even developers is like, hey, you know what? I don't want to spend too much of my time doing that. And there's a tool that let me do easily or that at least get me started. If it's not like the end point that you want, that's a tool that helps you to get started. So don't come back on me on this in six months or a year, because again, I don't have a crystal ball, but I I think it's going to be a mix of those two. This is yes, what we're, we're seeing right now. Copious, so. copious notes. And if you're wrong, you have to buy <laughs> yeah, me. I know, I know. I'm in trouble now. <laughs> so Cube First, right, is this core part of the overall Cube Shop portfolio, right? Which includes Monocle for configuration analysis, Test Cube, native testing framework, tracing, open telemetry trace, which you just talked about, and API gateway. Am I missing one? I don't think so. Yeah, so you cut out a little bit, so I'm not sure. But yeah, there's Monocle, Test Cube, Trace Steps, and BotCube and Cusk. BotCube. Yeah, is I think there, I think uh, BotCube. You might not be able to talk about it, which is fine. But like, is there a gap that still needs to be filled here that, you know, either you're planning in a new release or maybe another company offers Is there in terms of capabilities? Is there a capability gap there? You know, I, I think CubeShop right now has a pretty good offer because we cover from like creating your cluster to like testing your cluster, but not just your cluster, also your code to also, you know, like linting and like having more information about your cluster to the management part with BotCube where like you can manage your cluster, get information of your cluster where like from Slack or Discord. So like just an easier way to have access to your infrastructure. So I think the offering is pretty good right now. I don't know if there's other project coming, to be honest. I don't know what's next for all the projects, but I know I can say that for Cube First, it's only the beginning. We're continuing. We're growing the team right now. And the thing is that we have passionate people, and I think it really makes a difference. And also, not just passionate people, we have people that like had those issues and had enough experience to want to solve problem that they had before. Jared and John, who are the founder of Cube First, as I said, they got acquired by Cube Shop about a year. So now we're part of Cube Shop. But they wanted to replicate a little bit of what they've done at the previous job where they spent months to basically have that like production ready cluster. And they were like, there is no way that every company has to go through that process. It doesn't make sense for us if we change job. We have to start again all that process. Obviously, it is going to be faster because we get that expertise, we get that experience, but still going to take time. And they were like, no, no, we're going to create a solution that can replicate that process easily and fast and without too much knowledge. Interesting. Yeah, that's helpful. So I should know this. You guys, do you have a pre-product or pre... Your product is out there and you've got users, but from a business perspective, you haven't launched yet. Is that right? I mean, it depends if you mean by business, I like making money side of things. No. So right now we're working on, like we're in big discussion right now, we have a plan where we're going 
and it's in motion right now. So we're introducing slowly from 2.0, we introduced some features that helps us to reach the point where soon we're going to be able to offer multi-cluster because right now the limitation with Kubeverse is that you create one cluster and you can only manage one cluster, which is not super helpful for medium to large size enterprise. So for many people, it's enough. So the main feature that our users are requesting in multi-cluster. So we're going with that. And as I said before, it's one of the avenue we have right now for monetization. So I would say before the end of the year, we should have like an enterprise offering. I'm so surprised by so many organizations that say they're doing, they're focused on enterprise and they don't have a multi-cluster feature set. And I find it surprising. Yeah. So it's why until now we're like, no, there's no way we monetize. And we wanted what we call the cube first quality level, which is like, hey, Mm -hmm. we wanted to have a product that is solid, not bug free. Like, I don't believe there is any product out there bug free, but, you know, good enough that it's production ready. And we got enough feedback from the community to know we're going in the right direction from users to know we're going in the right direction. So now the next step is say like, okay, now we have a solid foundation. Let's move toward a sustainable solution for Cube First and Cube Shop. And you know, that could be the shout out here. Any listeners who work for a Fortune 500 company who would like to be a design partner can call you up, Frederick, right? Yeah, yeah. And actually, we're really open to any type of feedback, good, bad, and ugly feedback, as long as it's respectful. This is the only way we can improve yourself and be sure that we're going to provide the feature users one. Well, it's like you're like true blue open source. I like that. <laughs> Let's switch gears a little bit. We've got a few minutes left, and I always think it's interesting for people to understand your journey, right? A little bit more, especially because you are a developer advocate. You already said you moved from being a full-time developer into a developer advocate because you're a little you wanted a little bit more human contact and you like talking to people. When you think about hiring developer advocates, what types, like, let's say there's developers in the audience right now are thinking maybe that's for me, but I'm worried it won't be technical enough. Like some of the thought, like if you were interviewing someone to be a developer advocate, what would you look for or what would you steer clear of in their profile? You know, when it comes to developer relation or developer advocate role, or sometimes it's called technical evangelist or technical developer, it's basically for me, the soft skills for that role that you usually see for any type of role, they're the hard skill. So obviously, when I was hiring developer advocate, I want someone who has developer experience for the reasons that like it's a developer advocate role. So you need to be technical because you're going to write article. You may have to code some demo application, depending on your product. You're going to have to talk to developers and you need to be critical. So you need to like see what it is to try to create an application, what it is to like maybe work with customer, the joy and the pain of being a developer. So you need to have like that experience, that credibility. But I care also a lot about the skills, the people skills. Like how are you able to communicate? Are you able to relate to people? Do you have empathy? Because like that's super important when you talk to the developer because most of the time they're gonna tell you they have issues within either with your product or different technology or they want to get your guidance or knowledge. So how are you able to share with people? Are you able to, again, connect with people? It's super important. So I care less about the specific technology that like I need to hire you for. Let's say right now, you know, it's cloud native. So maybe it's a little bit different. But if I go for a really developer advocate centric role where your job is about a specific technology, let's say Python, and you've done some Node.js, you don't know that much Python, but at least you have a little bit of experience with another programming languages. 
if you have the soft skills, which again, I consider hard skill for that role, you're going to learn like the Python stuff because you have experience as a developer. And as a developer, you cannot survive if you're not able to learn new technology. So I'm really looking for more of like the soft skill. And a good thing to start, like if you want to do that role, but you're like, hey, you know what, Fred, I have a little bit of experience as a developer, or maybe a lot of experience as a developer, but I don't have experience as a developer advocate. What I did when I realized that, oh, that role existed, and it did not exist too much when I started. It was mostly a big company like Microsoft, but I went to a conference. I set up Microsoft guy, called a developer advocate, and it did a talk about one like .NET technology, I think, at that time. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a role that exists. So like, how can I show them that I can do the job without having done the job before? So you know what? I started to try to speak at meetups and conferences to get some like public speaking experience. I started to write technical blog posts about things I learned, how I learned things, issues that I had and solution I found to show my process of thinking. And the fact that, you know, I'm technical and I can write stuff. I started to organize user groups. So there's things that you can do on your own, on your own time, unfortunately. Or maybe you can find a way to do this odd job and kind of like building the experience that like most people will look for when they hire a developer advocate. I'm really glad you said that. I think that's right. Just get going on doing some of it. There's nothing stopping you in this like awesome open source world. It's true for everything. Like I often have, I offer a coffee chat where like people can schedule 30 minutes with me to get advice and they take what makes sense and they leave what you think doesn't make sense from what I say. And I talk with a lot of people trying to start a developer career. And I say the exact same thing, like write blog posts about your train of thoughts and like how you solve an issue. And if you go to school, put your homework on GitHub. Yeah, their homework. Yeah, they may not be super advanced, but at least you can show code to people, code that you created, code that like people can understand. Like you can explain why you choose to do it like this, this part like this, or didn't choose to do it another way. So putting things out there, like having example you can show to people, even when you didn't do the job professionally, it's really a good way to start. That's great advice. I was also going to ask you like this role of technical product manager. If you wanted to get more technical, you could go the other direction, right? From an influencing people facing job to something more technical in the same way by just getting started and posting it out there and sharing it. So I love that advice. Frederick, it's been really great catching up with you. Is there anything else I forgot to ask that you definitely wanted to share with us about your company and journey? No, I mean, you know what, if you are on our Kubernetes cloud native journey, give Kube first a try. If it's not the tool for you, let us know why. We want to know why, because like we try to cater to as many people as possible by being still focused on their mission and what we want to do. But like we cannot please everyone, but let us know why, because that can give us some pointers. If you get, have a great experience, we love those too. Like not just like the, oh, I got issue feedback, let us know. And yeah, I think that's kind of it. And also the other thing I would add, even if you don't use user tool and you're like new to the cloud native journey, you have questions about like what is GitOps and oh, more information about Kubernetes, or you're starting to use our Go CD and you have issue. Again, even if you don't use Kube first, come talk to us. Like we have that expertise. We're really community centric. We just love to give back. And it's not just me because of my role. It's like the old company, the engineering, the founder, Come say I, ask us questions. We're going to be more than happy to help you again, even if you don't use your product. 